welcome back to the Practical Family Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Bryant, and today we're talking about how to discover your child's strengths in order to parent them better. Now, I'm excited to introduce my two guests to you today because they have taken an approach toward parenting that is based on what many companies have used in order to get the most out of their employees. I'm talking about the Strengths Finders test. Strengths Finders is a type of personality assessment that focuses on one's strongest points, the points that you gravitate toward naturally as a person. Now, as companies have been using this for years to assess their employees, to, to find the right fit for them in a company and not just you know putting them in any empty space. We've also found that it is very beneficial to apply these types of tests to the types of children that we have. Now, my guests today are Annalyn and Brandon Miller. They are both successful business owners and the parents of seven children. They are so passionate about seeing families engaged in a strengths-based parenting approach that basically unfolds the uniqueness of every child and empowers that positive parent relationship through every stage of life. Brandon is a certified strengths coach through the Gallup organization and the CEO of 34 Strong, which is a coaching and consulting firm dedicated to improving employee engagement. His wife, Anna Lynn, owns and operates her own company called the Anna Lynn Miller Group, which is part of Keller Williams Realty. So this is a couple who understands business well, but also understands family life and the family life dynamics that come when you are looking at each child as a unique person. Both Brandon and Annalyn are now grandparents. They've gotten to see their their kids have kids, and we're going to talk with them in this interview all about what it's like to approach your kids from a strengths-based perspective in order to get the most out of them, but also how to get the most out of your relationship with them while they're still in your home. So here we go. Episode 92, Discover Your Child's Strengths with Brandon and Annalyn Miller. Welcome, Brandon and Annalyn Miller to the Practical Family Podcast. So glad to have you. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. So you've written a new book, Play to Their Strengths. And I was interested in this because it had a little sports catchiness to it. But um, it's actually much deeper than that. Can you tell us about the inspiration behind this book? Sure. So basically, it started from being in a place of pain, parenting-wise. We just realized we weren't connecting with our kids. We realized that there was this gap in our relationship. And rather than looking to go outside of who they are as people to try and fix the problem, we decided to rather learn to get to know them on a deeper level, which basically brought us to that place of being in discovery mode and and really learning about them and then how to best parent each child. Mm. And this is kind of a backwards concept you talk about, right? This is kind of a, let's look at this as a new approach and a different perspective. Right. With your experience as a strengths coach, and I'm going to ask you more about strengths finders in a second, how did you find that this uh, approach kind of changed the way that you parent? We learned about strengths finder about 15 years ago, and the opportunity at the time was to share it with a group of people and think about how it could 
improve a workplace. Mm -hmm. And so I was the point person on the project, got to go through some training, and I kept thinking, wow, this is really effective. <laughs> <laughs> this really works. Yeah. Maybe this would help in other avenues of life. And it took a little time before I could make the transition because some of the early literature around this concept was very geared toward workplace and leadership development and management. And so as, as Alan said, well, I think the dawn of teenage children does a lot in your parenting reality around wow, we need to rethink some things yeah. because what we were doing for school age is not translating into teenage world and realm. And so as we write in the book, uh, we just got to a point where we really needed to rethink how we see our kids. And so it, it helped that I had begun a career really focusing on strength development within organizations and just found that carrying this into our home and with our at the time, really intently with our teen kids, it just changed the narrative, changed the whole conversation. Mm. And it allowed what I would say for both of us, it made my career that much more impactful because there was this authenticity coming from, look, this is just what I'm talking to you about to improve your workplace. I'm telling you, this can transform how you raise your kids. Yeah. Oh, that's powerful, right? Because it's dealing with people and mm -hmm. kids are just miniature people and absolutely, and mm -hmm. we're growing them to be a part of the workforce. But how do we do that and just assign tasks without really understanding the person behind it? You know, right. at Practical Family lately, we have been all about assessing one's personality or just becoming mm -hmm. more aware so that mm -hmm. we know what effect we have on people. And so from a parenting standpoint, we've got to have that wider view, that global view. And I'm so glad that we're talking to a couple like you today who have seven children of your own. Yes. You've got four daughters and three sons. Tell me a little bit about that dynamic and how you've kind of seen them change as you've implemented these new strategies. Sure. So our kids' ages range from 26 to nine, almost 10. And... I would say the biggest change in our family would be that with our children and the interaction with them, there's just a much larger measure of grace that they have for each other. I feel like they seek to understand each other more, which is not typical, you know, especially with children to seek to understand or to learn about someone else's personality. I would also say it's helped them in school, sports, because now they can transition this way of thinking with how they're interacting with other people. And so they've taken it into their careers and it has served them very well. Yeah, we didn't start out with the plan to have three kids and then have no. this eight year space and then have four more. You know, people wonder, what did you did you miss something? And you know, our story is one of those where three, we were gonna have a fourth and everything just stopped. Apparently God decided we needed a break. It was his plan. Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> it was time out, you need to learn some things and then we'll rekindle the action here. And so it is like raising two families. And yeah. so that from a book writing perspective gives you an advantage to see two really different spectrums of life with now adult kids who have their own children and then the teens and the school age kids still at home. And so, you know, whenever you write a book like this, as soon as you get done writing it, you realize what else you could have added, or you also feel this bit of inadequacy around gosh, I need to live up to my own book. I need to like reread this now because we're like parents in a book. And we have reread it. 
because well, because as much as <laughs> as much as you bring strengths into a setting, kids are kids, people are people, and this provides a philosophical framework. It's just really trying to dig in and say, I know this behavior that I don't like is something that needs to be amended, but maybe there's something more here. Maybe there's a deeper yearning happening in this child. Maybe there's some place that they're trying to express that I want to try to understand how to help them get there. And I think for us, that really allowed us, one, to draw near to God and say, help, you know, who, who is this person you created? Because I have my ideas, but I imagine you have better ones. So let's think about what you have for us. And then we feel like this tool really was a godsend because it gave language. It gave us interest in this philosophical shift. So both in the teenagers, but certainly in the kids, because mm-hmm. it started to impact how do we proportion time? Mm-hmm. Where do we put effort and energy? What battles do we need to stick with and which ones do we need to let go? Mm-hmm. Where can we reshape how we invest and interact with them? Right. And I like how you have this idea of a five to one ratio too. And in that interaction, I want to save that for a little bit later in the conversation, but it's interesting because I think there are a lot of questions around what it is like to have a larger family and when exactly does your family get large? I'm not sure. Is it three or four or five kids? I'm not sure. But the questions around time management Mm -hmm. is a little bit different, but it does kind of depend on the types of children you have, their personalities and how much energy they expend and what they require, right? I'm Mm -hmm. seeing this just with my two kids, Kate. My two require a lot, but they're like almost the same age and they're different little people and they have completely different strengths and Mm -hmm. and the boy and a girl. So I'm like, okay, I have like a little, little sampling of what (laughs) could be multiplied in like a larger family. All of us need these tools to understand our families better. I like at the beginning of the book, and this reminded me of my own kids, actually, when you talked (laughs) about your son, Lance, loving to work with his hands and discovering that that ability to kind of take stuff apart and put it back together meant that he didn't necessarily play sports like with the enthusiasm that you may have as a younger man. Right. This particular strength that he had was specific to him, and my son is the same way. I mean, he'll get out there and maybe run around, maybe kick a ball, but he is so much more into using his hands to create things, and I thought that was really encouraging. It really was interesting because to this day, Lance is our go-to phone call to fix things because (laughs) we all know that his dad can't. Well, and he's an electrician now, so he's actually an electrician and and was the field he chose to go into. No, it's hilarious because I, in my late teens, early twenties, as I was going through school and we're raising our family, one of the avenues I explored was being an electrician. So I spent a year and a half going through an apprenticeship and around 18 months in realized either I or someone around me was going to get seriously hurt or mm-hmm. die if I kept trying to do this because I just don't have the coordination. And, and it was not for a lack of effort. <laughs> it wasn't for a lack of trying to get this and have the spatial yeah. recognition and understand. And so to watch my son just, you know, really flourish and really take off in an area where that chapter one conversation around dad, I'm not like you. And okay, then I probably need to understand who you are mm-hmm. really changed our narrative to this day with how my son and I interact and how our family dynamic allows for that freedom of let's figure out who you are and how God designed you. And let's, let's help you go down that pathway. 
So good. So good. So let's start kind of at the beginning of those misconceptions or where you were operating out of before and what led you into this better way of looking at child rearing, really. You talk about this hierarchical leadership idea. What do you mean by that? And how did you need to kind of flip with that? I'll let you answer that. Yeah. So different styles of parenting that are out there and a very common default parenting style is authoritarian. Mm. And for so those of us who had the parent where you could fill in the blank, you know, do this because I, and then told you so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was my experience. And, and not that I saw anything wrong with it growing up. It just was how mm-hmm. many of us, we had those parents learned how to respond to authority, which was it's highly instructive, but also corrective and can feel cold. It can mm-hmm. feel like ah, obedience trumps affection and affection comes when there's obedience. Mm-hmm. But when you lack it, there's, there's it's a very puni- conditional. Yeah, punitive yeah. response. And as a dad, I found that that was my go-to. I am very naturally wired to be that kind of dad, coach, boss, manager, like that's just comes out without even thinking. So aspiring to a different path, strengths-based and And some would say that you take authoritative, which is very warm and structured and and align it with a strengths approach because it thinks about both. I want to invest in you as the person to really respect, appreciate, understand who you are while also creating a space where Mm -hmm. you do know what's expected of you and there are boundaries and you are going to be expected to live to your potential. And so that's a shift. You know, some parents aren't authoritarian. They fall more into that permissive, passive style because some of us naturally, we like to be liked, you know, and and that one can miss some things as well. We really found that this style may not come naturally to some of us. It it takes effort to train ourselves. And thankfully, these are skills one can learn. These are skills that we can acquire resources, you know, as we wrote and others that are out there help to reframe our thinking around how do we view our kids? How do we set structure? How do we establish good ground for them to build from, but also being that source of love and care and concern and trust. That's a big part of that, I think, shift that we had to make even in our Mm -hmm. process of parenting. I love that you said that even trying to marry those parenting styles, that that may not even come naturally. This is so true. I've run into so many parents who default to either too harsh or too passive, or they're afraid of being disciplinarian at all because to them, all they see is very harsh, a lot of yelling and all of that too. It's not necessarily true, which is why we need to have conversations like this and we need to do life together so we can observe how other parents are handling situations, but that it is a skill to learn. And even when you talk about how to discover your child's strengths and you give great examples in the book about it, how do you reconcile that finding your child's strengths with also not letting them only operate in their strengths? And that's a fine needle to thread mm-hmm. there because when we take this approach, some might say, well, it feels soft. Does that really produce great results in kids who become really responsible, really engaged, successful adults, air quote, successful adults, right? Yeah. And so when we think about, you know, <laughs> so when we think about that reality of, of strengths approach, we actually have adopted the philosophy that it is the most responsible thing we can do mm-hmm. because This is us attending to what was in this child genetically coded, Mm -hmm. what came with them, and then what strength do I see that could be cultivated 
while also being okay with the reality that where will they probably not ever reach a strength? Where are they going to have probably many areas in life where they might try their best, they might give it the effort, we do teach resilience, we do teach finishing what you start, but we also are okay with authenticity around that's just not for me. Mm-hmm. You know, we have one daughter that loves to play athletics, Michaela, who's at home right now. She plays on the varsity soccer team in her school. And her sister, who is a year younger, is done with sports. Mm-hmm. Just as a recent declaration. And she's raising a hog. She <laughs> yeah. loves animals. Yeah, so now so. she's <laughs> she's <laughs> defaulting. What now? She's a raising hog. A hog. A pig. A pig. That is so cool. Future farmers of America. She's out there. I got a call yesterday. Dad, I need a pair of jeans. I got to go out in the slop. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> While the other one is out of her game. Because for Madeline, at now at 15, she's declared, sports are not for me. Mm-hmm. I will gain my exercise other ways. I don't like competition. Mm-hmm. I don't feel comfortable there. I don't enjoy it. So I'm going to do other things. And to us, we were very comfortable with, great. Let's explore what comes next. And so I think it's raising animals. It's, she's taking cooking courses. There's other pathways, and we're happy to help her discover those pathways. I think it's the responsibility of recognizing to the parents that we have to take out of our minds this well-rounded perception that we've personally been taught or we hear a lot about in wanting our kids to be good at everything. And there's so much pressure Mm-hmm. unneeded pressure put on the children and I think the parents. We talk in our book about the discovery, you know, being in discovery mode and learning about your kids. Well, and that might be that they're trying to find sports or music lessons or performing arts and whatnot, but they may not land there. Kind of like our child who played soccer all growing up. She's super athletic, very good, great team player, but that's not what it's in her heart to do. And some parents do say, well, you've got to finish it out. That's not uncommon. We're in the sports world where they, that's what I did. You know, you're doing this till you graduate. We've talked to adults who had, had their parents say that and they're like, I hated every game. I was the top scorer, but there was no enjoyment. It did not bring fulfillment. It was merely something that a parent made them do. Yeah. So I think that's a huge part of this method of being strengths-based and knowing what you're asking of your kids also because what does it mean to finish finish the season okay you know finish what we committed to sure I like that you said that there is great value in finishing what you start you Mm -hmm. start to take apart this computer because you want to teach your kids about computers at least put the thing back together like you don't have to want to be you know, a tech person, but let's just persevere enough through this situation because nothing could be your thing. My 11 year old daughter tells me sometimes that's just not my thing. That's just not my thing. And sometimes it's in a context that's appropriate for her to have that permission to say, that's not my thing. But when I need to get her to try new foods, (laughs) honey, you can't be that picky. Okay. (laughs) Once you go into someone else's house and being like, uh, no, I don't eat that. Thank you very right. much. You know, it's like, that's not okay. Like choosing the things that your kids need to be able to persevere through, but giving them permission, but giving them the ability to own themselves, to own who they are. Mm-hmm. Your daughter, Bailey, reminded me of my daughter. She was shy and it was hard for her to make friends at first until she discovered the performing arts. I was like, wow, that is my Chloe. She has grown in such incredible confidence in finding 
this place where she can just be herself and perform. And now we're kind of trying to, you know, make sure stuff doesn't go to her head and what does humility look like? (laughs) (laughs) I just love that so much. Where I wanted to go next is because you talk about, you know, learning certain patterns of behavior and discipline as you teach your children. When you think about how you were parented, what did it take for you to kind of work out of your own head, what that meant and why you needed to choose to do maybe something different? I came from a more permissive parenting style, opposite of Brandon. And so for me, it really, it was a different level of engagement that I didn't experience and even know, you know, how to really implement. So I needed very structured, almost tasks put in place. Like, okay, how do I do this? Because I just didn't even know where to start. That was actually a big reason we wrote the book because we realized it's a great idea. It's a wonderful concept, but how does it actually play out in a family? How do you do it on a daily basis? How does this work into the conversation? How do you do this when you're talking about school, sports, friendships, interacting with siblings and whatnot? And so for me, it really took a lot of work because I came from a more disengaged parenting style, if that makes sense. More of like friends, they weren't, hey, I want to do this. Okay, go ahead. I want to do this. Okay, go ahead. And there was not a lot of structure or questions that progressed past that. Mm -hmm. So Brandon? I think the reality when we look back on parenting experiences, most of us have happy occasions come to mind Mm -hmm. or negative occasions come to mind. And that clouds our perspective of how our experience went. And I think for both of us, we really have worked to train ourselves to be grateful for the experiences that our parents provided for us mm-hmm. because we were well cared for kids. We yeah. were provided opportunities and, and we have much to be thankful for. And so I think shifting our style was really more of an honor to our folks to really look at mm-hmm. how can we build on what you did well and take it further? What have we learned? What have we understood? And how could this approach be shared? And so it's been really nice to share what we do with both sets of grandparents and their opportunity to engage, you know, their grandkids mm-hmm. this way and understand that. And that's been a lot of fun mm-hmm. just for their own learning and appreciation down this pathway with us. I love that. I love that you're approaching that from a base of gratitude. Mm-hmm. Because we can easily go into, well, I didn't learn this. And why didn't I learn this? Because my parents didn't teach me. You know, it's, we don't need to go down that road. You can't yep. change the past. You can't. You, all you can do is be grateful for the foundation that you have. Even if there was no foundation, there are a lot of parents listening right now who had no real solid parental example. And again, because you can't change your past, you can only move forward. Well, what do I want then? How do I learn what I didn't get? And because sometimes we just don't know what we don't know. It's diving into resources like this, like podcasts like this, like books like yours, and just being able to be humble and willing to learn from others and be teachable. As an adult, we need to admit what we don't know and, and move forward. So that's so good. As young parents, let's speak to the new parent right now. Maybe they had good examples of parents. Maybe they didn't. What would you say were your greatest fears as young parents? How can you relate to where they are right now? And what has God shown you growing out of that? (laughs) My greatest fear. My greatest fear was, oh my goodness, am I going to be able to raise this human being into a productive human being? You know, am I going to mess them up? And 
I would say through the years, recognizing that when we stop and just realize that God has given us this child to steward, he's also going to give you the wisdom to steward them. And I think just a greater dependence on the word, on resources, and like you mentioned, other people that might be farther along. He placed a lot of mentors in our lives. I think we didn't want to look bad in front of others. (laughs) That too. (laughs) Our message to new parents is they went through the same thing that every parent has. First of all, you don't want to break them. (laughs) You don't want to see them get hurt. You want to make sure they stay healthy, protected. Those are go with that. Those are, you know, not overplayed, but you want to nurture that. But getting away from comparing yourself to others is probably one of the most important things that we wish we had known back then is Mm -hmm. other people could not be our standard. They could be lessons we could learn. There were takeaways we could glean from them, but we couldn't be them. As we let that go into our middle years with our teens and our children Mm -hmm. that transformed peace in our own hearts because then we weren't striving to be like that couple or these folks we really could rest in our kids aren't meant to be a mystery to us Mm -hmm. we're meant to understand who they are we're meant to understand how to best bring them along and to trust that we were equipped to do the job Mm -hmm. and i think for new parents that can lift. And this is practical because our son and his wife have two young ones. Our daughter just had her first little girl. And so, and then our third daughter's having her first daughter in a couple months. So we're watching new parents right now. You know, we're living this reality with them. And it's very nice to be able to remind them, hey, some of this, you're just going to get all wrong one day. And that's okay because you can pick yourself back up and start tomorrow. That's yeah. the beautiful thing about parenting. You get do-overs and you get to come back and keep at that commitment to be your best and do your best. And that, that really is, I feel like a big part of our message is you got this, you have everything in you to be an amazing parent. Mm-hmm. Trust that. Let's, let's find that. And you can, you can grow into that place. Amen. Let's stop living in fear and take hold of what we can take hold of and stop comparing, stop trying to be like everyone else. And don't be afraid of failure. Those are pretty pervasive themes in uh, what we talk about here at Practical Family a lot is not just trusting yourself, well, trusting what God has uniquely created you to be, the little people that he's uniquely assigned to you to mold and to help. As you said in the book, you're not creating copies of yourself, right? You're looking to them for what God's already put in them and stewarding that instead of... It's a very different perspective. Well, thank you both for being on with us. Before we go, actually, let's hit really quick on the five to one ratio thing for families or any family dynamic, whether you're larger or smaller. What has that been like for real authentic interaction with your children? So in that chapter, we wanted to just recognize that usually it can be that we're prone to speak negatively or just have more negative interactions with our kids than positive and really trying to flip that because the conversations are going to happen. We're not at all saying don't reprimand. It has to happen with children, obviously, but to really be mindful of the amount of those types of conversations you have and using the five to one ratio means For every one time that we're having to have that sit down conversation and bring correction, that we are working to have five other interactions that are positive. And what I wrote about in the book was just literally, you know, getting your kids out the door in the morning. It can literally be one negative interaction 
after another. And the idea that we leave them off in a space where they're not uplifted, there's not a buildup of love and encouragement and joy (laughs) until we say bye and really trying to shift that and putting them in a place where they are naturally living in a more positive space mm-hmm. and more encouraging and it requires space. intentionality. It's very, I will say it's difficult because you have to be intentional. Yeah, about you have to be very intentional to find the five mm-hmm. to, because the one's going to happen. And, the and, ones happen really yeah. easy. And in reality, we encourage parents, break the scoreboard. Go yeah. for 10 to 1. Because our kids are going to face negativity whether we want them to or not. They're going mm-hmm. to face setbacks and disappointments and they're going to have that reality. So this isn't about creating a space for kids where all they're hearing is something that is inflated or trying to pull out something positive where we can't see it. It's really training our eyes to be generous, to be Mm -hmm. kind, to look for those things and then be that voice, Mm -hmm. that echo in their mind of I'm reinforcing you have what it takes, that you are enough, that God has given you these gifts, that you did a great job there. Keep this up where I appreciate. Thank you. Because these interactions they seed into our children mm-hmm. this confidence, this ability to understand, I can go at this. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the greatest gifts we'll give them is this grit, this willingness to stay with things even when they get hard. Mm-hmm. And that ratio is a great starting point because we'll find ourselves often going, how am I doing? You know, mm-hmm. and, and just fair warning, teenagers will test this really well. <laughs> what? <laughs> really well. Because I have had the moments of, whoa, my scoreboard's so far off. <laughs> I'm going to have to spend three days of rebuilding here because I need to not allow myself to what we call in the book from frustration to fascination. I need to move over here to where's my curiosity, where's my discovery mode because uh, I'm being tested by my own child. So it's not, you know, obviously we're not presenting something that's, oh, this is easy, just uh, no. go, go down this path. No, that's a challenge. But it's worthwhile because what we've watched with adult kids is then they want to hear what you have to say. They want to bring scenarios to you. They know that your voice is going to lead with something that builds them, that encourages. And I'm telling you, parent, when your kid moves out, you want those phone calls. You want those text messages. You want that interaction. You want to be that trusted source because that's the great part of parenting is getting to help be that guide and encourage them along their adult journey. That's so great. And we do forget when we're in constant discipline mode that that voice is the one that we hear later. Our our voice in this case will be the one that our kids hear later, probably for the rest of their life. For sure. It's hard and it's sad to come away from family of origin thinking, well, all I remember was getting yelled at a lot or all I remember was saying, okay, you got to try harder. You got to get that A. Like if If you don't, you're going to miss the mark or something, or you're not good enough, or you're not as good as... And we carry those scars for a long, long time. But what you're saying is being intentional about being as positive as possible, not in a permissive way, but being aware enough of the effect that we have as parents on our kids. I kick myself every time I'm harsh with my son, or I'm like, what are you doing? What were you thinking? Okay, hold on. He's seven. Hold on, Jenny. (laughs) Oh, yes. Close to home on that one. (laughs) It really is a roller coaster, but it is for a short amount of time. And what can we do? And I think a big point is we have to realize that this time that we have with them at home, it does carry over into their adulthood and how our interactions are going to be 
when they move out. Yeah, I heard this interesting it's, stat the other day. It's really interesting. A 34-year-old did research on his life, and he calculated out the interactions he was having with his family after leaving the home compared mm -hmm. to the interactions he had before. And what he calculated was that 90% of the interactions he was ever going to have with his parents happened before he was 18 years old. Mm. And that the rest of his life would be the, the remaining, the remaining 10%. 10 because of how concentrated that first season is. And obviously not a scientific study, it's one person's journey, but it does underscore this amazing opportunity in mm -hmm. such a concentrated period of time that we have to positively influence these people mm -hmm. for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. And I think that of any other message that we're taking away from this work is, hey, parents, you have this, you have what it takes, and you can learn to grow into this, but also let's recognize the opportunity and the awesome responsibility that we have to do this well. You've been listening to episode 92 here on the Practical Family Podcast, Discover Your Child's Strengths with Brandon and Annalyn Miller. You can scroll down to the show notes of this episode and click to purchase their book, Play to Their Strengths, a new approach to parenting your kids as God made them. Thank you again for listening to the Practical Family Podcast. If you have been a long-time listener, will you please do me a favor? Go to iTunes and leave us a rating. Ratings really help the podcast get seen by other podcast listeners and parents just like you who need to build strong foundations for their families and get the practical advice they need to get through their day. This is Jennifer Bryant with the Practical Family Podcast, where we are here to help to strengthen moms for real life struggles so that you can discover your gifts and embrace grace. Mm -hmm.